Hello, and welcome to Salt Wines, the podcast all about low intervention natural wines from Portugal. Hey, Marcus, how are you doing? Hey, Al. Yeah, I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. So uh, for this episode, uh, you hit the road. You went up uh, to the Minho region uh, to visit Peña Wines. How was, how was the trip? Yeah, really good. So this is episode two for Salt Wines. And yeah. I think Ricardo was definitely number one on our list for, for guests for episode two. Yeah. He didn't disappoint. This interview is really good. You get to hear from Ricardo, the winemaker, his approach to wines, his thoughts on caring for the vineyard. So yeah, it's a really good episode. Hope people enjoy it and let's let's get into it. No problem. Let's do it. Okay. Hi, Ricardo. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on this interview. Um, if you just wanted to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about how you came to be a winemaker, that would be great. Okay. So, back in uh, 2015, 16, we decided to get back to the family farm, family roots, where we back back in the times of my grandparents uh, they do wine mm-hmm. for more or less 200 years or something like this the, the the winery now it's an old house from the family and it's dated from the late 18th century where are the the mills so probably back then they did wine there um, in 2015 2016, we decided to get back from Paris um, and we had a decision to make um, continue to our professional life, lives um, as a consultant, a business consultant and scientist, or do a shift and be something else. This something else was much uh, was very much connected to the to agriculture and namely the the, the winemaking uh, business or process or way of life something like this um, so we decided to get back uh, we bought some farm here nearby the the, the family farm and um, we started making wine in 2018, was our first vintage. Um, we, we took care of all of that year all, all from the beginning, so since late uh, 17 until the harvest of 18. Um, and it was a, was, more, was a learning process. We were in Lisbon. I was in Lisbon half of the week. Half of the week was here, in the in the north part. So it was a, a year to learn how to not to do things, yeah. much more than how to do. It was yeah, very much a thing, uh, a year to learn how to not to do, and um, we had. Uh, uh, 
vicious attacks of downy mildew, repowdering mildew. We did the treatments too late, too slow, too low, <laughs> too everything. So <clears throat> the diviner was almost uh, well, wild um, in, in, uh, in the flowering time in May, more or less. We had flowers along the, the vineyard that were one meter high, one meter and a half high. So we meet it everywhere. Um, well, we did a, a very small batch of wine in 2018. Um, a nice one, but a very small one. Um, and the, the winemaking process was a bit like the diviner process much uh, trial and error, but we did a lot of things that probably we won't do again. But, um, well, it was a fun, it was a fun year to begin. And with the, we had a sunburn in 2018 also. So it was a perfect year to start because it, it is very hard to have such a bad year as 2018 for us. So you can't go wrong after that, or at least you can't go um, much more wrong than you did. Um, and it was like this. Um, 2019, uh, we were here, I was here all the time. So we took care of the, of the vines and the winemaking process in the cellar. Um, with a, an approach of uh, respect, basically. It's an approach of respect for, for the environment, for the people that work with us, from, from our employees to, to the end consumer. Um, and uh, trying not to spoil the, the grapes with uh, chemicals, so we do we do an, uh, an organic farming um, and in the cellar we have, uh, we have the, the philosophy of um, nothing added, nothing taken. So um, apart of a little bit of sulfur in the end, in the bottling, um, we don't have anything. Um, so our, our wines are basically our grapes. In, in a liquid form and with alcohol, of course. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's this, we don't, uh, we try not to spoil what we work all the year in the, vi in the vineyard. And uh, it's um, a process in the winery of uh, waiting, taking care, cleaning, um, and trying to seize the opportunity of that wine gives you when it gets to that certain point where you have to you have to bottle or you have to to change something um but it's like this we don't do temperature control we don't uh, filtrate we don't uh, stabilize we don't uh, well, we don't we don't we don't basically. 
and we try well it's not really trying it's just an, a way of looking to to the thing to use the less amount of um, uh, mechanical process well electrically mechanical process so pumps and things like that in the in the process sometimes it's not possible you have to use the pump from time to time but when you have, when we have the, the choice of doing a, using the pump or doing by hand normally we do by hand if it's feasible right so it's it's more or less this um my i came uh, my background is economics but I, i've worked all my life in uh, in um, in the cultural sector so maybe for for that maybe for the people that work with us we tend to look in an uh, in an aesthetic way of gardening of taking care of the of the vines and well, i'm not sure if that's the right way to look it's just the way that we do um and trying to be aesthetically harmonized from from the beginning to the end and, and i believe that reflects not only in the wine but in the in the bottle in the, the label in the box in everything yeah and i think from from my point of view um i don't really know a lot about the history of portuguese wine production or the grape varieties And I think that's what I'm trying to kind of give people that listen to the podcast that insight into, you know, the, the, the certain regions of Portugal. And yeah. so you're based on in Vinho Verde region. Yes, we are in the frontier of Vinho Verde with the Douro region, basically. Douro and Trasmontes, we have a double frontier. Um, so... Uh, that, that thing about the, the grape varieties is, uh, is, is quite curious and, and I believe it's very much in the shade in the, in the wine world, in the, in the wine around the world. Um, normally we say that the wine or the, the Vinis Vinifera uh, were, was born in the Caucasus region. And yeah, I believe it's true, but every variety of, of the vines have something in common with, um, with um, the Caucasus origin, a part of the Portuguese, and I believe part, at least part of the Iberian uh, grape varieties, that somehow it, they seem not have the same origin as the, the Caucasus. So, I don't know which degree of trueness this has, yeah. but um, it seems that it may not be the same uh, family. Yeah. That said, that means that we have a, a, a huge difference from the, the other parts of the world in terms of varieties, and we do have. Only in Vinverd region we have something like 200 grape varieties present um, and much more to be catalogued because they are in the old vines, they are not yet catalogued. Um, 
And in Portugal, probably there are 400 or 500 grape varieties. And they are different in Portugal and different from around the world. They are not present in other parts of the world. So out, there's possibly 200 grape varieties just in Vigna Verde region. Yeah. Yes. And, and what proportion are catalogued out of that 200? I, I'm not sure what's the proportion, but I believe there, there must be at least 100 varieties catalogued. Okay. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, what I'm sure is there are 200, there are more than 200 because yeah. the big part of the varieties are not catalogued. Yeah. Are in the, uh, an old uh, vine from Mr. João that is 80 years old. Yeah. And yeah, the guy did wine for all his life from that grapes. And if you ask him, what grapes do, do you have? He, he will tell you, I have my grapes. And that's all. <laughs> I have white and reds. Yeah. I think that's what's really exciting for me, having moved to Portugal and getting to discover. So at the minute, I'm just trying to, to taste single varieties so that I can get my head around how that grape yeah, you, maybe... You know that we are a blend country, yes, don't you? Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. I'm slowly running out my local bottle shop. I'm running out of the, the wine, right? The wines that he's got available for me to drink. So <laughs> I'm saying, you know, what, what else is left, Francisco? And he's like, no, you've had them all now. You've had all the single varieties. So. <laughs> but that's what is exciting. Well, I think Portugal is an exciting place because of the fact that, yeah, Mr. Joao has some uncatalogued grapes out there that no one really knows what they are. That's really, it's really exciting. Yeah, but you know that, and I can talk about inverted regions. I don't know what's the, re the concrete reality of the other regions, but I believe there are, it is very similar. Yeah. Um, we have 100 or 200 grape varieties. We know 100, and but we plant 10. Yeah. And it's very hard because uh, we are doing a, a new plot and uh, you have to, to plant certified uh, vines. Right. Um, probably the wine sector is the most regulated and bureaucratic uh, business sector in all Europe. Yes. It's a nightmare. So you have to plant um, the certified varieties. And I was asking two vineyard varieties to the guy that sells me the, the vines. And I, I was asking for, um, for a batoka that's a local, very local uh, variety. And, and for Amaral, that's not that local, but still not very spread. Um, and the guy told me, yeah, I can't. The, the, there's no availability. There's nothing available for you of that variety in, the, in all the country. Right. For, to plant and to start to cultivate. Yeah. 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 So you can't. Yeah. So that stifles the, the choice of, yeah. as, as a wine, wine maker, you no, well, at least it blocks the opportunity and will uh, 
pulled you into a bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah. Because there are the vi there are vines of that varieties and for, of the others, but you have to ask a special uh, license right. to do yourself the the the, the planting the the well to put the 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 dead variety in another to plant yeah so um it, it, it is an it is a nightmare only mr joan that 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 variety is allowed legally right to replant it in his plot okay if to do that yourself you have to ask for a, a permit right and well uh, it's not an easy process to do no. we will do it probably next year because this year we won't have the time that we, we should plant next month so we it's not an easy and fast process probably next year we'll do it but we are in risk of losing that huge amount of varieties yeah because of standard standardization you know and we were talking and you were saying that uh, it's one of the big uh, excitements of the wine sector in portugal that huge amount of varieties that are so different from the others around the world uh, it is but at the same time is a is a negative factor right. because if you take uh, well, so if you take my wine from uh, Trajadura to the to the British uh, market, yep. What the hell is a Trajadura? You know. Yeah, I think no uh, one will know it. That is that is um, an obstacle, I think, and that's yeah. really why I want to make it a little bit more accessible for people to listen you know, to your story, to yeah. the challenges that you have, and also the grape varieties that you're growing. So you mentioned Treasure Dora. What else do you have? Um, yeah, and, and, uh, apart people not knowing the varieties, we have strange names for a, a foreign name to say. <laughs> yeah, and also... It's not like my role, you know? True, yeah. <laughs> I think that um, not only that, that sometimes in a different part of portugal it's known as something, yeah, it's something completely different. yeah it's completely different even ourselves we can't understand each other because <laughs> it's the same three different names or four different names around the country <laughs> we are doing trijadura that only has one name in galicia they call it uh, trechadura it's the same yeah, we have Arinto that in the region it's called Pedrina. We have Vignão that in Douro it's called Solzão. Uh, we have we have Alvarinho, we have Azal, we have Avesso, and this is it. Yeah, this is it. And we are trying to plant Amaral, that's um, a red grape, right? And Batoca, that's a white grape. Great. So um, the wines that you've got, I've tried. I think they're really elegant, very well-made wines. Thank you. Um, and I like on your website how you describe them. They're 
I think you quoted um, for what for the I think it's the verbum the Conrad is it Conrad and yeah it is the art of darkness yeah so you describe it as a, the stranger that yeah. creeps up on you yeah. so do you have a vision in in your mind of the wine that you want to end up with or do you just work with it all the way through and no 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 we don't well I have not a vision, but I have uh, a goal. Well, I have a general goal that is making the best wine I can make with my grapes yeah. each year. Uh, we have some definition for each type of wine that we produce. What I, what I want to achieve with, with each type of wine. Um, but I don't have a vision, as you were saying. I have much more a character or a story for each wine. Okay? Yeah. And um, as I told you, I, I came from from the hard world or from the cultural sector. And as you can as you can feel from a painting, as you can feel from a book, as you can feel from a music. You have a picture, you know, you have um, a painting that bumps into your head and it forms from whatever you are reading or whatever you are listening. So for me, the wine is the same. It's, um, it's a process of telling you a story, making you feel, feel something yep. that will form some kind of painting in your head that will be forever probably that wine for you. I don't care if it's white, red, blue or brown. If the, the guy or girl that is drinking the bottle doesn't get something from it, some kind of feeling, some kind of sense, um, better said probably, some kind of resonance yeah it's more or less pointless you know this I, i'm not aiming for doing the best technical wine that i can make or less flaw, technical flawless wine that i can make and will meet the, the industry standard this said uh, i don't like flaws in wines i don't I don't do funky wines. Uh, I I don't I don't care in this way. I don't care if the end consumer is a natural wine guy or a regular wine guy. I, for me, the perfect uh, wine that I can make will please the natural wine consumer and uh, the normal regular standardized wine consumer in the in the sense that it doesn't uh, any major flaw it's not uh, funky in the sense that there's huge something huge acid uh, yeah. too much breath to to yeah too much oxidized no i don't i don't like i, I try not to make them i try not to make uh, 
dirty wines. I try to clean them. We don't do the, we don't filter the wines, but we try to bottle it as clean as we can. So, but I, I, I don't care if if it's a natural drinker or a regular drinker. I have the moral obligation to the best wine I can make for any anyone that will eventually drink it. And I think you said in the past to me that you the way that you you want to make a wine that that you enjoy and you, you try. Yeah, of course. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm doing wines for myself. And you're not... It's, it's that selfish, you know. <laughs> I do the wines that I like to drink. And, but you said that you're not unique in what you like. In the, no, in your yeah. I, I can be so uh, self-centered that that to think that my taste is unique. I'm doing the ones that I like, but I'm sure that much more in the world will like the same. I'm not that unique, you know, yeah. not that single. So I do the ones that, that I want and I, that I enjoy to drink. Yeah. And probably there will be much more people in the world that will enjoy the same. Yeah. They just have to match, you know, yeah. <laughs> bottle on the drinker. <laughs> And, you, you know, your wine goes really well with food as well. And I think that for me, I really enjoy because I like, I like drinking wine. And I think we said it before that we both like to drink and we like to eat. And yeah. the way that your wines can go so no. well with uh, different types of food. Yeah. The, 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 in the food department, um, the big... Um, discover for my wines is the Asian food, you know, that, 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 that normally is hard to pair with wine because it's too spicy or too, too something or too blah, blah, blah. Yeah. too acid, too sweet, too, too everything. And somehow in this, uh, these two years or three years that we are do, doing wine, we discovered that it goes really well with food, with Korean food, with Chinese food, even with Thailandese food. Yeah. That, that's not that common. Yeah. Well, of course, that I, I knew that my wines were, were a nice match with uh, Portuguese food and continental food, international. Uh, yeah, because we are, well, European food, at least. Um, but discovering that, that they can be face to face with some curry or some bibimbap yeah. or some noodles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I was really pleased with that. Yeah, it must be pretty yeah. good. Yeah. They've got the character, you know, that character you wanted within the wine. They've got it to face something. Yeah, yeah. They don't fight with the food, I believe. Yeah. But they don't, they don't, um, they don't get dominated by the food also. Yeah. So I, I think it's a nice combo. Um, and of course, we, we have some regional dishes that probably are as hard as um, 
as Asian food. Um, if you if you try uh, a cagdella rice, a rice made with the blood of a chicken, yeah. and um, and uh, vinegar. It, it's a very di difficult plate to meet with some wine. Yeah, I, I believe. Well, I like to drink my wines without food, also. Yeah, <laughs> I must say, but <laughs> I believe they go well with food. Yes, very well. I agree. If we could just go back, and could you tell us a bit more about your wine specifically in a bit more detail? No, I was I was saying that, uh, and we have three kinds of wines: the white, the orange, and the and the red. Yeah. That well, nowadays it's the. It's, I believe everyone has three kinds of wine right now, but um, we have we have three kinds because we have a very small plot of red grapes. Now the region was mainly red until the eighties, but after the eighties, everyone reconverted the the vineyard to white grapes because no one can can was able to drink that red wine, basically. It was screaming all around with acidity and tannins and very young. Um, so to, to sell and be a, probably the, the region that sells more abroad, the, the Vineyard region converted to white and did uh, even does fizzy acid sugary white from white grapes. So I have a very small amount of red grapes now. Um, and we are trying, we did the, the, the orange one as a way to compensate that small amount of reds. It was not to, to be in fashion. Yeah. It was just, uh, we didn't have uh, red grapes enough. So I wanted to have wines that could pair with uh, heavy meals. And uh, our orange wine was born like this. Um, I, I believe it can, in fact, pair with heavy meals. But at the same time, I believe you can drink it alone without food. Um, but um, but these three three variety, three three kinds of wine uh, led us to of focusing different things and do very different styles of wine or at least different uh, looks, different aesthetics in each wine. You know, so yeah, it was um, it was more or less this. The point was do a white an orange because you don't have reds enough yeah. and do a very good red from a very hard work grape variety. And I believe we, we are in the good path with the red variety. That, that is a hard one. <laughs> and um, I believe we, we shifted the, the orange one. Yeah. And uh, the whites 
I'm always in a dilemma because I tend to, well, they, the wines tend to be complex and uh, full body, even if they are elegant and light and with a nice acidity. But I tend to turn the wines too much complex. And uh, I'm always in the, in the conflict of not, of trying to make them less complex. But the, yeah, the aesthetic of the complexity allows me and I'm always going that way. So probably, well, maybe in 2020, we try to do more uh, easy wine, uh, less complex wine at least. And how is the rosé? Um, the 2021? I think the one I tasted. Uh, that, from yeah, the barrel? Yes, from the barrel, yeah. Yeah, it's without the skins. Yeah. Because our, our rosé is more uh, a noir de blanc than a rosé, you know? Yeah. It's 100% of white juice with red skins. And. Uh, Last year in 19, we, we did the, the first batch and experiment, experiment and one and um, experience. Well, and I, as I was told, telling you about the whites, I did the same with the rosé and went through the rabbit hole of the complexity and uh, did the light red, <laughs> full body, um, uh, with uh, nice acidity, but um, well, it was not a rosé. It was yeah, it was a light red of white grapes, you know. So I I get it get it out of the skins in August, probably or September. So almost one year with the skins. It's a very long macerated wine. Uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> and now I. I fight back that that rabbit hole and um, get it out of the skins in uh, late December. So only three months. Right. So it's a rosé now. Now rosé. More or less, at least. Is uh, is is Anna your wife? Is she happy? Is she satisfied that? Yeah, she's satisfied that I took it out of the skins, yeah. But she hasn't tasted yet, so I don't know if she will be very pleased with it. <laughs> Maybe, because she was telling me to, to get out uh, in November, probably. Well, with one month of skins, so middle of October. And well, it was like December. Let's see yeah, how pleased she's going to be. Yeah. I look forward to tasting it anyway. Um, when I tasted it last time, it was it was very nice, a very good color. Yeah, it was. It is. It has a very nice color. It is very pretty, um, and it's it's a very, it's a balanced wine. It's not uh, well. It's not the poolside rosé. Yeah, uh, but um, I believe it's an enjoyable wine that. Uh, it's less complex than the others. It's in that sense a bit easier. Um, yeah, 
I believe it, it will be a nice one. It will be our first 2022 to hit market in May or June. So, yeah. And that's quite early for your vintage. Yeah, it's quite early. And uh, it's, um, I know wood, wine, because all, all the wines go to wood. And this, this won't, uh, won't yet. It didn't grow as far, uh, it will not go. Um, so it's all, it's the, our, it's the only wine that, that's not going to a barrel. Right. And, um, and that stays less than uh, 10, 11 months in a barrel. So, yeah, it's, it's quite early for us. Yeah. So you, your 2019 vintage, you released uh, in November 2020? Yeah, November 2020. So the 2020 we can expect late. Yeah, we release more or less at the same time between October and, and November. Um, yeah, uh, every every year has has a different personality and a different aesthetic. So it's not the same grape. Well, the grapes are different every year, and as as you know, we don't correct them in the cellar. Yeah. So we don't make the same wine every year. It's always a reflect. It's always it always reflects the year and the, the conditions that uh, that year, that particular year has. So every year it's a different year, and well, you have to taste it regularly. For for me, I try to get people to understand that you know really what natural wine is. It, it's not really about you know for some people maybe it's about the funkiness maybe the bit you know the brett or yeah some people they don't truly know but i think for you is it more about it being each year it's expressing itself in a different way and it is made differently and yeah, well it. okay we can start to say that natural wine is bullshit <laughs> there's no wine in nature you know there are grapes yes uh, so no wine is natural. It's always made by a human hand. And people, as you were saying, as I said before, people tend to like to, there are at least a humor for the funky wines that you said they don't know and they don't have to, to know. And yeah, it's just as fair, just as good to like funky wine as the other the other type of yeah so this said um what is natural wine for me it's, um, it's respect it's respect for the grapes and for the process and for the consumer um it's trying to make every every year the best wine you can make without cheating because yeah, it is incredible uh, easy to make the same wine everywhere, every year, you know? And to make it taste as butterflies in your stomach every year, if you want. There must be a powder somewhere called butterfly, butterflies in your stomach for wine. Um, and it's incredible easy to do this. To, to do, each wine, best wine you can make with uh, without cheating, without uh, masking, 
without treating the consumer as a fool, it's not that easy. And it takes place. And for me, the natural wine, what is a natural wine? The wine that yeah, reflects the beer. It's true to the ear and the grapes. It doesn't cheat. And it respects. It respects the consumer, it respects the environment, it respects everyone that's involved in the process. From the grapes to the butterflies and the ladybugs <laughs> um, to, to the consumer. That's nice. So, natural wine, yeah. There's no natural wine, there is wine. Then there is uh, industrial wine, that's a huge, huge industry. Yeah. Um, and is cheating or not cheating, you know? And probably we can both be attacked with uh, some people hear this, but it's not cheating, it's allowed. Yeah. But because of that, I believe that the wine, every bottle should have a label saying what's inside. Yeah, just transparency. Yeah, and, uh, if, <laughs> and if they put the label saying what's inside, and when people look to a bottle, look that label with 100 ingredients or so, yeah, probably something will change. Yeah, because then, you, you know, you're informing people of what they are buying rather than... Yeah. And organic wine, even organic wine, is probably 100 ingredients that yeah. are allowed to use. Yeah. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola is more fair with the consumer, you know. They put what, what they, they are making. They put in the label. You know what, what you're drinking. Yeah, it's just the same as yeah, manufacturing food, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, you know, it's the same, yeah. You need to tell people. And for a regulated industry that doesn't have transparency of what goes into the product. It's a little bit- But you get big butts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Lobbyists. Yeah. Um, cool, but I think that that was all the questions I had really. I think I've taken up nearly an hour of your time, so I don't no, want to- no. as, I, as I told you before, the, this interview started, I burned my hand yesterday, so yeah. no problem. <laughs> no, it's been really good to, to be able to get your your thoughts and parts of the conversations that we've had um, when I've come up to visit you to hopefully you know enable people to listen to understand more about your thoughts behind you know look taking care of the grapes in the vineyard and making wines in the winery um, and hopefully they can resonate with your wines when they get to taste them I hope so I hope so yeah Great. Well, thank you very much. And I'll be in touch soon. Take care of yourself. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you. Cheers, Ricardo. Wow. Well, that was a a fantastic interview there with uh, Ricardo over at Peño. Uh, Sounds like you two really got into a wide range of uh, topics and subjects and he, as you say he, he didn't disappoint he's a pretty straight shooter yeah he didn't disappoint uh perfect guest on a podcast i barely asked any questions there was no need <laughs> he knew what i wanted he delivered it yeah. was really good it made my job a lot you know so much so much easier and yeah. 
yeah, covered a lot of topics. And I think he delivered on wanting to know more about him as a winemaker and his and his wines. I think. Yeah. Hope people enjoyed it. And uh, you know, you uh, he has a pretty singular vision, and um, uh, you know, one of the things I thought was quite nice about the interview is that here you have a guy who has a pretty clear idea of what he wants to do and the kind of wine he wants to make, but also humble enough to know that um, his vision is not necessarily uh, right or wrong or a preference for everybody. Uh, he just wants to make great wine he likes to drink. Um, yeah, a really refreshing interview. I, I assume he was uh, exactly the same way to be around. Definitely. He's somebody that when he talks, you listen and you get a little bit closer to, to kind of understanding what he's intending mm. to do. He mm. said he's not singular in his approach to what he likes. Mm. I like his wines. He likes to eat. They go really well <laughs> with food. He likes yeah. to drink. I like to drink. Yeah. That's it. It's simple. It resonates with me. It probably resonates with a lot of people. We're lucky enough to have, you know, a good allocation of this very small amount of wines that he made for 2019. So if anyone feels like they want to experience and see if they resonate as well, they can get to our website, check out the shop yeah. and yeah, dive in, see if, see what, see what it's all about because the wines are very good. I really like these wines very well made because somebody's you know, considered they've cared over it. They, they they want to be able to drink it they're not just throwing it out there they want to be proud of what they've produced i think it's great well that was episode two thanks for listening if you have any questions please fire them over via socials or email and i look forward to seeing you guys in episode three speak soon